Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. We've got a great show planned for you today. A little later, we are going to hear from Governor Gretchen Whitmer about reopening the economy here in Michigan, which has started, and we are getting the first indicators of how that's going from a public health and an economic perspective. We'll also talk with Senator Debbie Stabenow about bills to raise federal money to help schools reopen this fall. And we'll talk about the police reform bill that was defeated in the Senate last week by Democrats who said it just did not go far enough. There is a House bill by Democrats that does more that now awaits Senate attention. Uh, We'll talk to her about what she thinks needs to be in those police reform bills. But first, it's been over a year since the law was signed, but this week Michigan drivers are going to finally see the effects of the overhaul of our auto insurance laws. And here in the city of Detroit, there is particular focus on whether premiums and other charges are actually going to go down for people who pay the highest prices in the country. Also here in Detroit, we're in the middle of a very tense discussion about policing and the future of policing. Facial recognition technology, police brutality, and other issues are all the focus of the demonstrations that we see taking place each night in our streets. Joining us now to talk about those issues and others is the mayor of the city of Detroit, Mike Duggan. Uh, Mr. Mayor, welcome back to Detroit Today. Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Yes. Uh, So let's start with auto insurance. What should drivers expect to see when this law takes effect on Thursday? And what do they need to know if they want to lower their bills? This is uh, an issue that's been with us forever here in Detroit. This is uh, our first real effort to control costs. Uh, What what needs to happen for people to enjoy the breaks that uh, this bill is promising? Well, I think it's important to understand that the law doesn't lower your rates. The law gives you choices. Mm-hmm. And if you want to pick the coverage that people in other states have, your car insurance will start to go down uh, significantly. And so July 2nd, you can switch your policy. We're hearing lots of stories of insurance agents flat out lying to their customers saying, your renewal's not up till October, your renewal's not up to November, you can't act until then. And that's not true. You have a right to switch your coverage any day of the year. Uh, and, and people are making a lot of money off these higher rates and don't want it to extend. So the first thing you should know is that on Thursday, you can change your coverage to a different carrier, to a different policy with the same carrier. And if your insurance agent tells you you can't uh, call another insurance agent and get one who's uh, honest. My mother is on AARP, and her agent told her she couldn't change till November. She switched to State Farm uh, and, and got a significant uh, rate reduction. So this is pretty widespread. Uh, and then it's a question of choices. If you're on Medicare, uh, it's pretty easy. The other 49 states in the country, uh, Medicare has paid for car accidents forever. Uh, seniors in the other 49 states are not paying for their medical coverage a second time with their car insurance. In Michigan, if you're happy with your Medicare, you can on Thursday uh, choose to stick with your Medicare for all your health care coverage, including car access. You'll probably save $600 to $1,000, and all you have to do is send in your Medicare card showing that you're covered in both Part A and B. 
If you've got employer coverage, you also uh, have options if it's qualified. Uh, And if you want to keep medical insurance with your uh, car insurance, you have options instead of unlimited coverage, 500000 250000 It might save you four or $500, uh, depending on, on your company. All those choices are available to you starting on Thursday, but you have to actually do the research and make the choice. So what more do we need to do to lower prices here in the city? Is this enough, or will Detroit continue to have the highest insurance rates in the country even after this is, even after this is over? Well, I'm talking to a number of people who are seeing their rates come down a thousand, fifteen hundred, even two thousand dollars a year, uh, and so it'll come down uh, dramatically. Uh, whether we'll be the highest or not, I'm not sure. I think we'll know that a year from now. Um, but uh, it'll, we will get the largest reductions of anybody. I'm, I'm, if if you exercise your options, I'm confident of that. Mm. Uh, do we need to do more to change the way that insurance works in the state? Change the things that in, auto insurance companies are allowed to do to raise people's rates. I mean, this was this was a compromise that I know uh, took a lot of work in Lansing to get through. But is there the opportunity to do more to be more aggressive? in in trying well, to change this it was a five-year fight to get what we got now if i could my own bill i'd have a single a rate for every geographic area of the state with no uh, differences between traverse city or grand rapids or detroit uh but that's not politically possible it wasn't politically possible and the democrats had control of the legislature because uh, you can't get the suburban and outstate legislators to vote for it. So I wish I could get a bill where everything was completely even, but this goes a long way to correcting the uh, inequities. Mm. Uh, of course, I can't have you on and not talk about policing in the city of Detroit and the conversation uh, that, that has been started by these demonstrations against police brutality and systemic racism. Uh, I, I had planned to start with a conversation about facial recognition technology, which I absolutely want us to get to. But uh, there was news last night that I think really requires uh, our attention. Uh, this video of protesters in southwest Detroit uh, being being harmed by a police cruiser that uh, that hits the gas because there are people in front of it. There are people who are climbing on to the car. Um, But if you watch that video and hear the people who are screaming as this happens, I I think you can't help but but wonder about, again, this idea of what policing means, what the relationship is between police and the people of the city of Detroit who uh, they are supposed to be keeping safe. I first want to get you to react to this video, and then I want to talk about the, the, the sort of context of this conversation. Well, Chief Craig will do a full report. It happened last night uh, as it was getting dark, and I haven't uh, seen the full report, but I was briefed last night and today. Uh, and we have had a lot of protests in this city that have been done uh, peacefully. I marched in one. The governor marched in one. Uh, and... Our, the Detroit Police Department's attitude from the beginning has been, uh, if you're not violent and you're not destructive, you're free to say anything you want in your marches. We support the right to free speech. The point at which you turn confrontational and threaten 
people, it has to change. And so I need to see the full results. But what I've been told so far is uh, that we had a, uh, a group of people who were still uh, walking as it was getting dark, uh, that they suddenly got in front of a police cruiser and blocked it. Uh, immediately a crowd surrounded the police cruiser, started hitting the cruiser. People started climbing on the hood. Uh, and the officers uh, reacted to that by uh, speeding away. And so, uh, you know, we'll wait and see the full report. The thing that, you know, we're going to have to ask about is uh, there's one particular group of protesters that has been uh, totally focused on keeping people on the street after dark uh, when the confrontations uh, have tended to happen. And we have uh, handled it, I think, very well for the most part with a large police presence that's nearby ready for rapid response. But that's come at an enormous cost to the city, not just in uh, the money, which has been huge, but also in pulling police officers out of neighborhoods the last three or four weeks when we've had some serious crime issues. Last night, DPD decided they weren't going to have that rapid response team pulled out of the neighborhoods, uh, that the officers were going to stay in their own neighborhoods, and we had enough officers out basically uh, to control traffic. And so when this group started to pile on the police car, these officers knew there wasn't a large rapid response uh, team nearby. And uh, I know that's something that Chief Craig uh, is, uh, is going to evaluate so- today. So, so here's here's my question, and let, let's say for the sake of argument that that this group of protesters was being aggressive with the police and was climbing on the hood of of the car, speeding through the crowd with people on the hood seems to me an odd response for the police, and I think this gets to the larger questions that we're talking about here, which is. Uh, policing is a dangerous job. Nobody's questioning that. But escalating the, 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 the danger, escalating the tensions, escalating uh, the, the, the conflict when there is conflict with citizens is, seems an inappropriate response, a wildly inappropriate response. And in this case, could have resulted in you know, really great injury or death. I wonder what you make of that response to to what they were doing, whether they were right or wrong. Is that how police should be behaving? So, Stephen, and again, I want I haven't seen the reports and Chief Craig will address this. But if you're sitting in that police car and suddenly you're blocked, there is a large crowd around you. They're banging on the door, pulling at the door, climbing onto the car. What? are you supposed to do when you know the large rapid response team is not nearby what are you supposed to do uh as an officer and that's something that chief craig uh is going uh to evaluate uh but i mean i guess uh, i don't know i'm not a, the, uh, i'm not a police officer not, but but right, but, the, the but police aren't police officers trained people, to do that? yeah go ahead uh, again i would say you these are questions to ask chief craig when he has the full report but these were not police officers trying to arrest somebody. Uh, this was a crowd that really very suddenly blocked an officer, surrounded him, started climbing on the car and banging on the car. And, and I, again, I, I haven't seen the report. But if, in fact, that's the case, uh, then the question is, if you're in that car, what is your response to this crowd uh, uh, climbing on the car and banging and, and trying to get at you? And so is that an appropriate response? I'll let Chief Craig 
uh, address it. But I think we need to be clear. This wasn't a case where the Detroit police uh, were arresting somebody and initiated something. This was something where uh, the group, uh, at least what I've been told, blocked the car, surrounded the car, climbed onto the car. And whether this is an appropriate response or not, uh, you know, you you really should ask the chief uh, when they get the full report. And I don't know what damage is under the car. I just I don't want to be commenting too much when I haven't seen a report. Right. No, I understand that. But but I think more generally, it does raise this question about what the relationship is between police and the people they are supposed to be keeping safe. Uh, and, And it is the genesis of these discussions and these calls for defunding the police, for instance, or dismantling the police and reconstituting that agency in a really different way. I, I want to get your reaction to those calls and what you what you think is possible. Should we be rethinking the very nature of policing and the police force in a city like Detroit? And I have to say, I hear very little of those calls from residents of Detroit. And, of course, the protesters who have been calling for them uh, have been predominantly uh, outside uh, the city of Detroit. Uh, but as far as the basic concepts, if you look at what's fallen on policing, going back to when John Engler dismantled the mental health system, our officers probably every two or three weeks are dealing with a barricaded gunman, in many cases with mental health issues. Uh, there's $600 million a year being spent in the mental health system. What value are we getting? Uh, you have a domestic violence call where there's no uh, uh, call yet of anybody striking anybody. Uh, Do you send social workers out to the scene? That's what's being talked about. Let's send social workers out to respond. Well, how many social workers are going to want to walk into a domestic violence situation because nobody's struck anybody uh, yet? How many mental health workers are going to want to go out to a scene where somebody is uh, acting uh, in a violent way with mental health issues without police there? So, the chief would love to have far more social workers, far more mental health workers actively involved because these roles have fallen on police departments across America largely because of uh, the, uh, the defunding of our social services systems at the state level. And, and so if we were to rethink policing with a, an emphasis on dealing with some of these other things, you, you would support that? Again, you say de-emphasizing policing. I, I haven't been to a neighborhood meeting yet where the neighbors didn't say, we'd like a faster 911 response time, where the people in this city don't say there are way too many speeders on the road, way too many injuries to pedestrians. We need more officers on traffic patrol. What I hear from people in the city over and over is they want more police presence. They want a police presence that's from this community, that respects this community. And I think that's what Chief Craig and the Detroit Police Department have been trying uh, to build. Now, if the $600 million in the mental health system was actively engaged uh, in, in dealing with ongoing issues, uh, the Detroit Police Department you know, wants no part. We had officer you know, Colin Rose shot and killed uh, by somebody who I think clearly had uh, major mental health issues, walked up to a guy on a, on a bike who pulled a gun and, and shot him with no warning. These mental health issues aren't something the Detroit police want to deal with or any police department sure. uh, wants to deal with. But you can't say to the police, defund the police. 
Well, I think uh, you, I think you can say maybe we should fund them in a really different way that focuses in addition to on addition to uh, keeping people safe, respecting people's rights, advocating for people's rights. When you when you deal with them, there are lots of people in the city I think who can talk about run-ins with police that 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 implicate those issues. And I want to talk specifically about Robert Williams, uh, who we had on the show last week, the man who was falsely accused and arrested for theft after being wrongly identified by Detroit police, uh, who used facial recognition software. Uh, a year ago, you said that you strongly opposed the use of facial recognition technology for surveillance. Uh, you said, quote, the Detroit Police Department does not and will not use facial recognition technology to track or follow people in the city of Detroit, period. Uh, how do you right. reconcile that with that what was, happened? That was true Williams? then, that was true then, and that was true now. And Stephen, I listened to your story before I came on, and it was just flat out false. Which story? Uh, and, and this is the story that ran that said uh, that he was arrested on facial recognition. Uh, and so let's let's take these a piece at a time. I do oppose uh, uh, sur- facial recognition for surveillance at no point. Do we use facial recognition to track live camera, video? The technology is not good. It does not match, period. We don't do it. We, when we have a still picture of a violent criminal mm-hmm. and we've got 20,000 people in a mug book, what the Board of Police Commissioners does, and it's been called by the, the head of civil rights of the Obama administration, the model facial recognition policy for America is that it matches to the mug book, and the mug book doesn't give you one person. It gives you three or four uh, pictures and says, these people have similar bone structures and features. You take that and you decide whether there are leads to follow up. You don't arrest somebody off it. Uh, and, and we had one instance uh, where the uh, match showed a potential match. It'll say 80% match, 82% match. It could be three or four different pictures. When they went and looked on this guy who was a shooter who, who drove off, they went on his Facebook page, his personal Facebook page, and his profile picture was him sitting on top of the getaway car with a gun. Uh, there are violent, uh, the victims of violent crimes who think that going through 20,000 pictures in a mug book is not the most effective way. Let's talk about what happened on Robert Williams, and it was not at all like the story uh, that you ran shortly before I came on the show. This was predates any policy at the Detroit Police Department, but you had a shoplifting case at Shinola. Uh, a precinct uh, detective asked the Michigan State Police, at the time the city of Detroit uh, didn't have the resources to do it, Michigan State Police, did they have any matches? The Michigan State Police sent over a picture. The security guard from Shinola came into the police station, looked at six pictures in a, uh, a facial array, which is the standard practice, mm-hmm. and the security guard picked out the picture. It was then sent to a prosecutor who approved a warrant. Now, my issue with that is that there was a, the security guard who picked out the picture had not actually been there during the time of the shoplifting. They'd seen it on a tape. There was another Shinola employee who had been there at the time of shoplifting who could have made an identification. That employee did not come in. And as far as I'm concerned, at that point, there should have been no request for a warrant. Uh, Prosecutor Worthy has said the warrant prosecutor shouldn't have issued the warrant. Uh, And 
our detective, once the individual came in, Mr. Williams came in, immediately contacted the police and said, this is the wrong guy. You should turn him loose. And the prosecutor, to their credit, immediately went into court right. and dismissed the case. So, but it had nothing to do with this wasn't well, the but it did. that this I mean, is the guy. Here, here, here you are saying that the employee in the store identifies him off of a tape. And, and that's what we use to arrest him. And, and, and I don't want to get, again, bogged down too much in the particulars here, but it is the larger context, right? This happens too frequently in the city. False arrests, African-Americans misidentified for crimes. These are things that are not unusual in our criminal justice system. And I guess my question is whether you feel like... Uh, uh, this case and others like it suggest we have to be doing something different. I think there needs to be a lot of precautions. And, of course, there have been a lot of convictions by eyewitness ID mm-hmm. being incorrect. Mm-hmm. We don't say yes, we aren't going to do eyewitness ID anymore. But, but Stephen, let's, let's come back to this. Last September, the city of Detroit adopted what I believe is the best facial recognition policy in America after the Williams case was over. It had five separate protections that I believe the Williams case would not have happened under the current program. And we've had no claims of misidentification in the last nine months since the policy was in effect. But it requires there to be a clear picture, not a blurry picture. It requires it not to come out of a precinct, but to come every single case is handled by the experts in the real-time crime center at police headquarters. It requires that if you, it only be a case of a violent crime, so this case never would have been used in the first place in shoplifting. It requires that two experts at DPD both concur that the person looks similar. And then it requires you to build the entire case without the facial recognition. You actually go out and you find witnesses, you, you find evidence, you do a search warrant and get the gun. Uh, you cannot bring a warrant request off a facial recognition ID. Those policies have been in effect for the last nine months. And so I feel terrible. The Williams case never should have happened. Uh, but, but you are equating something that happened for poor police work uh, almost a year ago and then making it sound like it has something to do with the current practice at the city of Detroit. And it does not. Okay, Uh, we're going to have to agree to disagree on the connection there, but I do appreciate you coming on and and giving the, you know, the explanation for what happened. Uh, Detroit Mayor. Stephen, have you been to the real time crime center to see the demonstration? I have not. I have not. So I I wish I wish you would do that. Arrange for it. I want you to come down and see what they do. See for yourself. Virtually every person who has been in and seen it has come away with a completely different impression uh, than what you are saying. But we absolutely are not using these cameras to track people, identify people. The technology does not match well. Uh, and we do not arrest off facial recognition. We don't do it. Okay. I, I do appreciate you coming on to give the explanation and, and, of course, to talk about these larger issues. Always great to catch up with you, Mayor Mike Duggan. Thanks for, Thanks for being here. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Governor Gretchen Whitmer is going to join the program to talk about the rise in COVID cases in some areas of the state and why she's slowing down the process of reopening Michigan's economy because of it. Stay with us on Detroit Today.